from Isaiah chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up, up to the mountain of the Lord, the, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take a sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So several Christmases ago, something interesting and even a little bit unsettling happened to me. We got up on that Christmas morning like we do every Christmas morning, and the girls had already gone in and they had raided their shoes. Now, I just need to explain this a little bit. In my house, we don't have stockings. We have shoes. It comes from my mom's side of the family. And so on Christmas Eve, the girls and us, we all put our shoes under the Christmas tree, expecting that Santa Claus will come and put some things in the shoes for us. And so they had gotten up, they raided their, their shoes, and they had begun eating their Christmas candy and playing their, their new toys. Well, Miranda and I got up a little bit later, and we fixed breakfast, and then we opened all of our gifts that we had for one another. Well, as that day progressed, it did so like all the other Christmases before, and we just simply hung out together. We watched some movies, we played some games, we snacked on some treats that we had. And as that morning slowly faded into the afternoon, everyone began to settle down, and, and they began to read the book, their own book, or they began to play by themselves. And so the hubbub of the morning was calming down, and so I decided that I was going to turn on the TV, just see what's going on. And when I did, the very first program that popped up on the screen that afternoon was the news. And the story they were covering is what unsettled me at my very core. It was a news story of an attack of one country against another country. Now, I don't remember any of the details. I don't remember which country was attacking who or what they were even fighting about. But what I re do remember is as I sat there watching this, how I felt. I felt this sense of sadness. I, I, I began to feel this sense of loss. I, I even began to have this sense of anger within myself. Because you see, church, just the night before, just the night before, I had preached on Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And I had stood in front of my congregation and I had told them that Jesus sits on the very throne of David and that his, in his kingdom, war is completely unheard of. And I had once again proclaimed the Christmas message that God has come to us in the flesh to lead us into righteousness and to fill us with grace and to show us exactly who the truth is. And here I sat there in my living room on one of the holiest days of the entire Christian calendar, and it seemed as though all of the words that I had preached just the night before were void of meaning. It seemed as though those warm fuzzies, all of the warm fuzzies that we get at Christmas, and all of the comfort of being with my family, it was beginning to fade away with every single word that that newscaster spoke. And then I began to feel well up within myself the old cry, the old cry that I'm sure we've all said at least once, why God? 
Why is this not only happening at all, but why, God, why is this happening of all days? Why is it happening now? Why doesn't, just, why doesn't Jesus just come on back? Why doesn't he get here already? And let's get on with this promised peace that you have given to us. Well, I don't have the answers to those questions. I didn't have them then, and I still don't have all those answers today. But as we look at the prophets in the Old Testament, they can help us with this a little bit. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. The season of Advent begins. Now, I want us to understand that Advent is not Christmas. Advent is a season of expectation. It's a season of looking back at the first promised coming of the Messiah, but it's also the season of us looking forward to the second coming of Messiah. And so this year, we're going to look at one prophet. We're going to sit at one prophet's feet for the entire season. We're going to be in Isaiah. And we're going to dig into his oracles together and listen carefully to what God placed on Isaiah's heart to teach to us. And hopefully, we're going to learn exactly, exactly what Emmanuel means. Now, before we get into this morning's scripture, I want to make sure that, that we're all on the same page. Now, many people, they think or they believe that a prophet is simply someone who is like a fortune teller, someone who will tell you what's going to happen at some point in the future. And it's true that sometimes they do that. Some of the prophets would do those sorts of things. But that's not the sum total of what a prophet is. One of my very favorite definitions of a prophet is this. Prophets are individuals who worked at the intersection of the world of the human and the divine. Individuals who work at the intersection of the world of the human and the divine. And so for us, for the next few weeks, the working definition of the prophet we're going to use is someone who was chosen by God to be his spokesperson. And so that's Isaiah for us today. So with that in mind, let's look at this oracle again from this prophet so the, the structure of this oracle, it indicates that there's actually five important things that are going to take place at some point in the future. The, the first thing is that Zion is lifted up. Now historically, Zion can mean a couple of different places in Scripture. The earliest, the earliest place was the Eastern Hill. It was a place known as the City of David where King David actually ended up building his palace. Then a little bit later, the second place began to be known as Zion, and that was the Temple Mount. That was where the Jewish temple was built by King Solomon. In Isaiah's prophecy, he is actually referring to this second place. It's the Temple Mount. And so Zion is then this place that is being lifted up. It's being exalted as a worthy place for people of faith to make a pilgrimage to. And so that leads us into this second thing. Once Zion is lifted up, all these different people groups, all of these different nations, they're going to, they're going to see that it has been elevated, and they're going to begin this pilgrimage to the holy site. Now, now pilgrimages are, are journeys that, that faithful people make in order to pay homage to a particular holy site or as a quest to grow in their own holiness. And so Zion, according to Isaiah, becomes this place where all peoples, are invited to, to journey into. But instead of going just to pay homage or just to grow along the way, the pilgrimage has only one purpose to it. Listen to what Isaiah says again. He says, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us. 
that he may teach us his ways, that we, that we may walk in his paths. So Isaiah is, is seeing that all of these people that are all over the world, they, they now have this opportunity. They have this opportunity to go up the mountain in order to be taught by God, to be taught the ways of God, to, to have a chance to learn how to walk in the pathways that God is already walking in. So, so no longer is, is God's instruction just reserved for the children of Israel, but all people, Gentiles, will have access to the same instruction that the Jewish people had. Now, now this, of course, is a revolutionary idea, isn't it? The Jewish people, they struggled with this for centuries. As the chosen people of God, the Jewish people, they, they had a tendency of viewing their relationship with God as exclusive, which is why they viewed others as being unclean. But here in this oracle, Isaiah, he, he's challenging that idea. He's challenging them to see this coming day as a time of unification, a, a time of growth, a, a time of one people group known as God's people streaming into Zion together. But it's what takes place after the learning is fascinating. The people, they, they receive their education. That they receive what they need to know, and then they're sent back out into the world. They're, they're sent out with God's instruction on their very two lips. They become the teachers to others, and the result of their teaching into the world around them, the, the result is peace. Isaiah says the nations will listen to the teaching of God, and they will turn their instruments of war into farming implements. And by doing that, it brings about a permanent peace that will rule the day. Now here's the thing. I caught the grand vision. I could see this grand vision. And it's very easy to see, isn't it, church? It's easy for us to see all of this from the distance. But you see, this is where my problem was on that Christmas afternoon those several years ago. I was so focused on this, this bigger picture that I failed to understand the fullness of Isaiah's oracle and what it meant on the smaller scale. The smaller picture, what Isaiah's oracle meant specifically for me. Because you see, church, I, I have no control over what other people do. And, and I most certainly have no control over what entire nations choose to do but I do have a control over what I do and so here's the thing the season of Advent it, it reminds us that we live in the already but not yet reality of Jesus he, he's already made his appearance in the world but the fullness of his kingdom is not yet a reality the fullness of his kingdom will not become a, a complete reality until he comes back. But what I want us to understand this morning is that Isaiah's vision, it's already a reality for us, not for the entire nations, but it's a reality for us as individuals, for you and for me. So let's think about it this way. You and I have already experienced these things haven't we we've already seen the elevation of zion 
And we've made our metaphorical pilgrimage to the holy mountain and we have allowed the very God of Jacob to instruct us and we have sat and we have learned about God's pathway and we have learned how we're supposed to live out the faith that we profess on a daily basis. And now that instruction that we have received, it has become our own teaching. We, we teach our children and we teach our neighbors, we teach one another. We teach the people the truth of God. We teach them the word of the Lord as it has been manifest in our lives. But there's still the fifth element, isn't there? And it's the fifth element that we have got to deal with today. How are you and I doing with peace? Isaiah says that we are to beat our swords, our own swords, into plowshares. And we are to beat our own spears into pruning hooks. And that you and I are not to lift up sword against others and we are not to learn war anymore. Now this one's tough, isn't it? I'm afraid that if most of us were to get up out of our seats right now and go looking around our homes, we would begin to find that we still have a few of these swords stashed around the house. And if we dug around and found, looked into the very closets, the coat closets and the bedroom closets, and we dug around a little bit, I'm sure we would find that we've kept a few spears hidden away just in case we ever needed them. How many of us, how many of us are holding onto a sword that we use in our broken relationships? Y'all know the sword I'm talking about. I know you do. It's the sword that we use to belittle the person that we don't like. It's the sword that we use to attack him before he attacks us or that we use to cut into her thin flesh just to make sure that she remembers how strong that we can be. Those passive-aggressive remarks that feel so, so good to say but they cause pain and suffering in the lives of people we would rather not deal with. And how many of us are holding on to the spear, that spear that we use to defend our own honor, the, the spear we have kept in order for us to get ahead of other people? Maybe instead of doing the first attack, we use this spear only when we are attacked. And when we're attacked, we jab back, knowing that if we can just get in one really good, solid jab, then we might just get ahead. We just might be able to finally overcome our adversary. And maybe we like to keep these swords and these spears that we're holding on to just, to, just so that we can cause a little bit of division in the world. Division among people that we want to see fuss and fight instead of creating unity. Or maybe we look around the, the dining room table and we see family members that we're jealous of. We're jealous of what they have instead and we don't. And so envy begins to take over. And it, that envy causes us to attack with our swords so that the people who have more than we have, that they're brought down just a couple of notches. Well, regardless of what sword or spear that you're holding on to this morning, church, it's past time. According to Isaiah, it's past time for us to live out the truth of this oracle. 
Now today I'm asking for all of us to take a moment to reflect and to think. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit this morning to bring to mind, bring to your mind, what sword are you holding on to? What sword are you gripping tightly? And I'm asking him to reveal to you your spears, especially the one spear that you just cannot let go of. Father God, in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, I pray that your spirit flow out into this world and that you show each and every one of us our swords and show us our spears, Father God. Don't let us be naive in thinking we don't have anything like that, but remind us, Father God, of where they are and what we use them for. Reveal these things to us, Father God. Now, if he's made it known to you, I'm going to now ask him to do something else. I'm going to ask him to help you begin this process of transformation, transforming that instrument of war, that sword or that spear, that instrument of war into an implement of agriculture. Father God, I pray now that as you have revealed these things to us, I pray that you help us to see what we are supposed to do with that sword. And I pray, Father God, that that you give us the strength to pick up the hammer to begin beating that sword into a plowshare. And I pray, Father God, that you help us to, to break that spear handle in half and begin to form that spear into a pruning hook. Lord God, I know transformation takes time, and Father, I know that transformation is not something that comes naturally to us, and yet that's what Christianity is all about. So for all of my brothers and sisters, Father God, this morning who are taking these instruments of war and bringing them into becoming implements of agriculture, I pray that you will help them to continue to grow and to utilize your spirit to be strengthened to do what Isaiah is calling us to do this morning. I lift all of this up to you, Father God, in the name of Jesus. So church, the thing is, the day is coming. The day is coming when all the swords will be made into plowshares and all of the spears are reformed into pruning hooks. And there is a day that is coming when when the nations will not lift up swords and the people will no longer learn war anymore. But until that day arrives, it's up to us. It's up to you and to me. It's up to those of us who have already gone up the mountain and we have received the instruction. It's up to us to begin this process of making peace a reality, not at the national level, but in our own homes where we work, with people that we meet each and every single day. It's up to us to live out Isaiah's oracle in the here and the now while also anticipating the fullness of this prophecy when it will come to fruition at some point in the future. And so no longer will people from Aldersgate be a people of the sword. No longer will people of Aldersgate be known by the spears that we carry. Instead, Abilene and the world will know us by our plowshares. The world will know us by our pruning hooks as we spend our time and energy laboring in the fields of the Lord, bringing in His harvest 
of love and peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may the peace and the grace of Jesus rest on you now and forevermore. Amen. So as we take communion this morning, remember that you are receiving God's grace. You're receiving God's strength through these communion elements. Allow the Spirit to flow within you so that you can receive these and move forward in life. Father God, in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, I pray that you make this bread your body and make this wine your blood and help each and every one of us, Father God, to live out our faith each and every day. Amen. Father, we do thank you for meeting us here this morning. We thank you for continuing to give us strength, continuing to pour your spirit into us. We thank you, Father God, that we haven't earned your love, but you have given it to us freely. And Father, as we continue over the next few days reflecting back upon what you're doing in our midst, I ask, Father, that, that you be gentle with us For those who have hearts of stone, Father God, I pray that you begin that process of breaking the stone and pouring your love and grace into that body. And I pray, Father God, that as we continue to to do the best we can to live out this oracle, that, that you help us, that you help us to loosen our grips on the on the swords and the spears and continue to pound those things into an ability to use them for your kingdom's good. We lift all of this up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.